Well, Thanksgiving's upon us, and uh, I pray that you guys will have opportunities to gather with loved ones during this time. You know, this is one of my favorite holidays. It's one of those that I think that, for the most part, even though we kind of, as Americans, have a tendency to put perspective on other things, whether they be material or whatever, this is one of those holidays that they can't really do that with. You can choose not to celebrate it, but most people do. And I, I just like the focus on being thankful. I mean, we have much to be thankful for. I mean, when I look at my own life, I, I just I praise God for what He has done. I mean, this is uh, I, I thank Him for bringing me to to know Christ at an early age. I pray I just thank God that He set me apart for ministry when I was young. I thank Him so much for my family who unfortunately couldn't be here today because of sickness, but. Man, I am so blessed. I've got a wonderful wife who takes such great care of my kids. I've got two wonderful little boys who are just smart and funny and a delight to be around. And I have this little girl who my wife happily named Happiness because that's what she is. She just brings joy. Her name is actually Claire, which means bright, which is still fitting. But I just I love my family. I'm truly thankful for them. You know, I... When I look through my life, I just I had so many great opportunities to minister. I had so many great opportunities to to study God's word and to learn more about Him. And I have this opportunity now to have the privilege of of being a part of something new. And that though we're small, this is no accident. You know, this I am thankful for this opportunity to be here with you today to worship our great and glorious God. But we have much to be thankful for. And I'm sure that if we went around the room, we all could list a lot of things that we're thankful for. Some of those would be the same types of things. Family, you know, circumstances and how God has continued to provide and, and, and just be there for us. Uh, we, could, we could spend hours talking about this. And we ought to be thankful. We ought to be gracious for what God has given us. We ought to praise Him and give Him glory. I mean, these are good things to do. But if we simply worship God because of the gifts that He has given us, we've missed something. We've missed God. It's not enough for us to glory in the gifts. We must glory in the giver. If we simply thank God for the blessings that He has given us, Guys, we have missed something. We've missed the essence. We've missed God. See, true thanksgiving comes from a true knowledge of God. And so today, that's going to be our focus. I want us to truly be thankful for God because of who He is and for what He has accomplished. So if you would, turn with your Bibles um, to Psalm 100. Today we're going to look at a song that clearly shows us that thanksgiving should arise from our understanding of God's nature and not for what He gives us. Psalm 100, title, A Psalm for Giving Thanks. It says, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. 
Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give him thanks and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. As we shall see in the psalm, true thanksgiving comes from a true knowledge of God. And if you have ever struggled, as I have, with rejoicing in his gifts rather than in God, then this passage gives us three reasons that we are to find our true thanksgiving in him. First, if we are to truly proclaim, to serve, to worship God, which are expressions of our true thanksgiving, then verses 1 and 2 tells us that we must recognize him as the triumphant king over all. This psalm gives thanks to God because he is the sovereign ruler of all the earth. It actually rounds out a collection of of psalms that focus on the kingship of the Lord. And I'll just point out a few. Psalm 47 verses 1 and 2 says, Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout with the loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. Psalm 68. 24 and 26 says, your, pers- your procession is seen, O God, the procession my God, of my God and my King into the sanctuary. The singers in front, the musicians at last, between them the virgins playing, trample- playing tambourines. Bless the God and the great congregation, the Lord, O you who are Israel's fountain. And Psalm 98.6 says, With trumpets and with the sound of horn, make a joyful noise before the King. The Lord. So these Psalms focus on God's kingship. And verse 1 tells us that all the earth represents God's kingdom. He reigns over all nations, all rulers, all all people and principalities. There's not one square inch of the world that is outside of God's dominion. So from Champaign, Illinois, to the most remote part of Africa, from the center of the earth, To the edge of the universe, nothing is outside of God's rule. Therefore, the psalmist can call us to acknowledge that God reigns over all. So the psalm then is an invitation to us. The whole earth is invited to shout to the Lord. All the nations are called to make a joyful noise before him because he sits triumphantly on the throne. We are to cheer because God reigns. We are to celebrate with thanksgiving because God is king. So with voices held high and with instruments, we are to announce that God is king. We are to proclaim his lordship to all the earth. We are to preach the good news that our king has come to every tongue, every tribe, and every nation. Another way that we can see the kingship of God is found in verse 2, where it says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Here we are called to submit ourselves gladly as slaves to God. We are commanded to surrender ourselves as servants to the Lord. To call oneself a servant of the Lord is to acknowledge our dependence upon and subjection to God. We're not God's employee, as if we're hired at a certain, with a certain level of independence to work for him at a fee. We're not hired hands who work to attain a reward from him. We are his slaves who are living under his rule. He is our master. 
He is our king and he rules over every aspect of our lives. And this, this sometimes sounds scary to people. They don't like the idea of thinking, I'm subject to God. I mean, we want to, by nature, rule ourselves. We're, we're frightened by this idea. But it's actually a great blessing. Because this God, this God who owns everything, who has all authority over everything, can then give us lavish gifts upon us freely apart from what we have done. It's not based upon our own effort that we receive reward, but rather based upon His generosity. This God of all authority, who has right over all things, is a good and glorious God who gives freely apart from what we have done. We don't have to earn that gift. And that is a great and tremendous blessing. And so therefore we can serve Him with gladness because He is our great and gracious King. We also see God's kingship in the phrase, come into His presence. This, along with the phrase, enter His gates and His courts, in verse 4, conveys the idea of coming before the throne of a king. To enter the court of a king must receive an invitation. If you didn't receive the invitation to come before him, it means certain death. But here, our triumphant king is actually welcoming us into his gates. The Lord bids us to come into his presence. He's inviting us to join him and celebrate at his banqueting table. This is not a cold or distant God. He is a kind and welcoming king who calls us to the... Excuse me... <coughs> into the privilege of joyful service to Him. He invites us to come into His presence continually. We sing and we can make a joyful noise in our happy service to Him because God is near. He's always with us. We don't come into His presence when we cross threshold doors of a church building or when we come and sit in pews on Sunday morning. This God who invites us to come lives in the hearts of all who have called on the name of Christ. His spirit dwells within him. Do you realize that you're never alone? We, we serve an omnipresent God. He's everywhere right now. There's not one aspect of our lives where we're ever separated from him. We can't go and hide away and live a part of our lives as if he doesn't exist. We can't just come and worship Him on Sunday morning. He, he asks that everything we do, whether we eat or whether we drink, be done to the glory of God. And so this God who is always with us is always bidding us to come into His presence. And this is a great privilege. I mean, we don't have to go to a temple to serve our God. We don't have to get up and, and grab our sacrifice and take it and lay it before an altar in order for us to worship and serve Him. We can do it anywhere, at any time, in anything we do. We can do it at our jobs. We can do it at our home. We can do it when we're by ourselves, surfing the Internet. There's not one aspect of our lives where we are alone, away from God. And this is a great and wonderful thing. But you know, we won't do this we won't serve Him, we won't proclaim Him, we won't worship Him unless we truly recognize that God reigns. You know, I remember seeing footage of the end of World War II 
Banners waved high amidst the sound of cheers and exultation. They struck up a thousand bands, and with great pomp and fanfare, they proclaimed the good news. The boys had come home, and they were victorious. They had won the war. And so despite the heavy toll, despite the countless lives that were lost, the men were glad that they had served. They considered that a worthy sacrifice. They were happy to give their lives for such a worthy cause, for such a worthy country. And as the soldiers came ashore, the crowd sang and they rejoiced with joy unspeakable. They were thankful. The war was over. The boys had come home and their country was victorious. They had placed their hope in her. They trusted her and she had not let them down. Our nation was triumphant. The homecoming from Vietnam War or for Desert Storm or, or even for the war, from the war in Iraq for that matter has been a very different situation. There were no parades. There's no cheering. There's none of the fanfare. People paid little or no attention to the fact that these soldiers were coming home. And so the boys, by nature, were disheartened and felt like, was this sacrifice that I gave myself to so, was it even worth it? What was the difference between World War II homecoming and those others? What changed between those times? One thing changed. It's because they had lost faith in their country. They didn't recognize her as the triumphant conqueror anymore. They distrusted her. They questioned her. And so they lost hope. It's the same with us. If we fail to recognize that God is the triumphant king, to truly believe this, we will not be joyful and bold in our proclamation of him. If we do not believe that He reigns over the earth, we will not serve Him with gladness in every aspect of our lives. If we do not trust that God is sovereign, we will not worship Him as He deserves. We will be like those without hope, destined to be dismayed because we attempt to serve an inferior God by our own insufficient efforts. Therefore, if we are to truly be thankful, which is displayed in our proclamation, service, and worship to God, we must recognize that He is triumphant King over all. And so I want to take a minute and just have us reflect on this. Do we truly believe this? Do you truly acknowledge that God is reigning Lord over all? And if so, how is that impacting your life? When you look at our call to proclaim the good news, do we think more about ourselves? Are we standing fearfully before man rather than zealously, excitedly, and joyfully proclaiming out of the overflow of joy that's in our hearts because we believe that our God reigns? What about our service? Are you serving? Or, if you are serving, is your serving joyful? Is it glad? Or is it something you're trying to do to earn the favor of God? Again, that's missing that God reigns. And what about worship? 
What do you do when you're not gathered together in Sunday morning? Would you consider that being done to the glory of God? Or what about when you're here? What's going through your mind right now? If we don't recognize that God is our triumphant king, we will not be thankful. Second, verse 3 tells us that if we are to truly know the Lord, we must recognize that we belong to him. This psalm actually commands us, know the Lord. Here the Hebrew, is it's an emphatic charge. He's saying, truly know the Lord. Truly acknowledge that he is God. Truly confess that he is Lord. And by nature, this means that we profess that he alone is God and there is no other. Not yourself, not your family, not your home, not the TV, not success, not comfort, not ease. None of these things are God. God alone is Lord. He alone is in charge. He alone is the authority over all. To confess that God, that he is God is to take ourselves off of the throne of our hearts the place where God rightly deserves that reign, and we worship Him alone. We no longer place ourselves in subjection to satisfy our desires, but we seek to serve Him and to be instruments of His will, because He is God and we are not. We are then given reasons to confess Him as Lord. The first is that He created us. Verse 3 tells us, That we did not make ourselves, God made us. Therefore, we are His. We belong to Him. As our Creator, God owns us. He has given us existence and continues to sustain our lives. But if you understand the context, you understand that that this making us goes even beyond our creation, but He makes us His people. It's the result of God's action and not human effort that we become children of God. We did not make ourselves. We see this in the way that God has coveted with and cares for His people. The text says that we are His people, the sheep of His pasture. We are not God's simply because we wanted to be. We are His people because God, the King, has made a covenant with us. We're not his sheep of his pasture because we hopped a fence and joined his flock. But rather because he opened the gate and allowed us to come in. We are the, shep- we are the sheep of the good shepherd who gave himself for us, who calls us by name and laid down his life for his sheep. He cares for us by providing for, protecting, and guiding us. We are his sheep of God's flock because he is a loving shepherd who has seen fit to make it so. Therefore, our lives, our very existence, is dependent upon him. This actually makes me think of Caleb's sermon last week where we looked at, I am the good shepherd. He said that the good shepherd lays down his life, or sorry, I should start at the beginning, huh? The good shepherd gathers his sheep with the authority of God. He protects and preserves them. And the good shepherd loves them by laying down his life for the sheep. We also briefly looked at Psalm 23 and how it says the same thing. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Again, showing God's provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And here we see the direction and guidance of the Lord. 
He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. And here we see the purpose behind God's restoration of our soul by his leading. It's so that his name might be glorified. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. Here we see the presence and protection of God. No matter the circumstance, no matter the difficulty, even though our life is at stake on every side, we can trust that God is with us, that He is sustaining us. And if He has willed for us to live, nothing can thwart that. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Here we see the amazing kindness and care of God. I mean, think about this. Even though this difficulty is around you on all sides, your cup overflows because God loves you. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, this is the confidence that we can have when we truly confess that God is Lord, that He is a sovereign God who is reigning over all, and we know that we belong to Him. Can you say that of yourself? That you belong to God? When we truly know and confess that He is Lord, we will acknowledge Him as our Creator, as our covenant-keeping God, and as our caring Shepherd. We will take ourselves off of the throne of our lives because we belong to Him. We are His and not ourselves. So true thanksgiving comes from this recognition of God as King over all, and second, from a realization that we belong to Him, but third, from a reliance upon His flawless nature. Verses 4 and 5 tells us that if we are truly to enter His gates with thanksgiving, we must rely upon God's perfect character. Again, verse 4 instructs us to come into His presence with singing, with thanksgiving, and with praise. We worship Him for His perfect nature, and we thank Him for His perfect actions. We bless Him and show gratitude to Him for who He is and for what He has done. Verse 5 tells us that the Lord is good. His love and His kindness is everlasting. And that He is faithful to generation after generation. Guys, do you realize that love, kindness, and faithfulness are by nature who God is? We understand these terms because God gives us the definition of them. We know what goodness is because God is good. We know what love is because God is love. And he, are, he, is these, he, he represents these things in perfection. It's not the faulty sense of good that we can express or the faulty sense of love that we can express. No, God is perfect in His love, in His kindness, in His goodness, in His faithfulness. But not only is he good and loving and faithful, he proves it in his actions throughout all generations. And this is amazing. When you read, when you read the Bible, you see that despite the people's thanklessness, God continues to show generosity. You see that despite their hatred of him and the rejection of his covenant, he still continues to love them. And despite their disloyalty, God remains 
faithful. God displays His covenant perfections to His people in His nature and in His actions towards them. Therefore, it is only right that we worship Him through praise and thanksgiving. So I need to pose another question to you. I mean, have you ever found it difficult to worship God? Has it ever been a challenge for you to thank Him? I mean, I know that there have been times in my life where I haven't felt like worshiping God. I haven't felt like giving Him thanks. I haven't served Him with gladness. I may be kind of young, but I have experienced trials in my life. Some, uh, there's been one point in my life where there's been a lot that has happened all of a sudden, and it was very earth-shaking for me. And in those times, I began to become discouraged and dismayed. In fact, I was kind of dispre- just downright depressed. I was like, I was asking, where is God? What is He doing? Why is He allowing me to experience this kind of pain? Haven't I served Him faithfully? Haven't I worshipped Him? Haven't I proclaimed His name? Why is this happening to me? But the problem was, I was focused on my circumstances. I was just looking at those things that seemed so overwhelming to me, and I lost sight of what was most important. But thankfully, it didn't stay that way. And you know what it was that snapped me out of it? You know what, what brought me from mourning to rejoicing? It was recognizing who God was and what He has done. When I look back over the course of my life, I had seen that God has proven Himself to be good and loving and faithful time and time again, even when I rejected Him. When I looked back over the course of my life, I could see His hand continually guiding me and providing, protecting me. Just there, His actions showed, it proved His continual character. And so, I could have confidence in the present based upon God's past faithfulness to know that He was still being loving and good and faithful towards me. Just because I couldn't see it, I could have confidence in this unchanging God that He is there. He is God. And He protects those who have been called according to His name. And so I had confidence. I responded in joy and in praise. I continued to proclaim Him, even though I didn't feel at the moment like I was really near Him. I worshipped Him. I thanked Him. And the result was, God was there. You know? I mean, that didn't change. That didn't change. We find ourselves in difficult times. We must be careful not to look at our present circumstances and then to question God. Rather, we ought to look to His perfect character. We look to the ways in which He continues to keep His promises. And the result is that we hope in Him. So therefore, Psalm 100 tells us that true thanksgiving comes from a recognition of God as King over all, from a realization that we belong to God and a reliance upon His perfect character. You see, true thanksgiving comes from a true knowledge of God. And when we catch this, when we truly know God, we are thankful. And the fruit of our thankfulness is evident in the way that we live our lives. When we truly confess that God is king over all, we do so by making a joyful noise. We proclaim it with shouts of joy and song. 
We seek to make Him known. We tell others about Him with zeal and with passion and with joy. When we acknowledge that we are His, we gladly submit ourselves to Him and serve Him in whatever way He asks us to, regardless of our circumstances or whether it's not something that we particularly enjoy. We're thankful because we know that we belong to Him. And so we serve gladly. And we know that He, when we know that He is perfectly good, loving, and faithful, we long to continually come into His presence and worship Him with praise and thanksgiving. Our desire is to bless His name regardless of our current situation, without any strings attached, because in Him there is life and peace and joy in believing. This is all the more true as we remember what the Lord has done for us in Jesus Christ. Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And Philippians 2, 6-11 tells us that Jesus Christ, though He was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made Himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We know that Christ is our good shepherd. And that those who are in Christ belong to God as his children. John says in the first chapter of his gospel, in verses 10 through 13, Christ was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And God proves himself to be abundantly good, loving, and faithful by giving his one and only Son on our behalf. Romans 5 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, do you recognize that you are sinners? You know, it's easy for us to think that we're basically good. But that's just not the way it is. God, who created us to have perfect fellowship with us, has right and authority over us. But we have rejected that authority. We have sinned against Him, either by not doing the things we ought, or by doing things that we shouldn't. We have clearly rejected God as king, and we have tried to make ourselves king in his place. And therefore, we are rightly under the wrath of God. But God loved us so much that he sent his son to be a sacrifice in our place. He offered up his life, his perfect life, though he committed no sin, offered it for us so that we might Be reconciled to God. This is a great hope. And through his death 
and his resurrection, we now can walk in the newness of life. He gives his spirit so that our lives might be transformed and our desires change from following ourselves, from our sinful desires, to following after Christ. And he gives us the hope of eternity with him. We do not deserve this. This is a God who we rejected. And yet he loved us so much that he sent a priceless treasure for us. So let's recognize that we are sinners and may we look to Christ as our hope and Savior and confess Him as our Lord. Let's not attempt to serve Christ by our own joyless efforts, but let us endeavor to truly know Him that our hearts might be given over to exuberant praise and zealous proclamation. And may our intimate understanding of Christ result in happy service and glad hearts. Because only then will we truly worship Him. Only then will we truly be thankful. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to You with eyes more open and attuned to who you are. That you are this great and glorious God who made us, who owns us, who is sovereign over all things, and has shown such love, such goodness, and such faithfulness to us, though we have not deserved it. God, forgive us of the ways that we reject you and rebel against you. And I pray that you might be working in our hearts now in such a way that we would give up those things in order to gain that which is most beautiful, most priceless. God, I pray that Christ would be seen as invaluable, as unfading, as our eternal joy and hope. And God, I pray that from this knowledge, this true knowledge of you, we might truly be thankful as we have much to praise and rejoice you for. God, thank you for Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.